0: Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90-Min Football Network, sponsored for the month of December by our good friends over at Pro Prep. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon, and on this edition of the show, we're going to be bringing you some tactical analysis following Arsenal's impressive victory at Elland Road over Marcelo Bielsa's Leeds United. We're going to be specifically focusing on Alexander Lacazette and the difference between the role that he played at Ellen Road and the role that he played at West Ham or against West Ham, sorry, just a few days prior. We'll be talking about the fact that, of course, um, we're seeing a lot more variety to Lacazette's game and we're seeing the players in and around him thrive off the back of that. So I want to do some analysis on that. Got some screenshots for you. Got some... um, uh you know i've got the tactics board which we'll dive into as always so yeah really really looking forward to bringing you uh some further information on that and f- from which of course you can make up your own conclusions uh then we will do A uh, Q&A sesh towards the end of the show we'll spend the second half of the show doing that q a sesh um because we didn't do one on the post-match reaction show yesterday so without further ado let's uh, dive into the show let's say a few hellos before um, before we get into the tactical stuff, big hello uh, to uh, W.M. Mie. I uh, hope you're well, mate. Uh, good hello. Uh, big hello. Good hello. Big hello. Goes out to Steve Stone. Hope you're well, mate. And to Dave, of course. Femi uh, Koye to Fido uh, to Jid to Inter. Hope you're all well. Uh, Real Guna. Uh, Hambo to Omar I hope you're all good. And Omar says, Harry overslept, hence his lateness. It's okay, Harry. I can categorically deny those claims. When you've got kids the age of my kids, two months and two years, uh, you know, you you don't get lay-ins on a Sunday. They're a thing of the past. They're a myth. And if you do, you're relying on your partner getting up and taking them both away from the bedroom. And unfortunately for me, that didn't happen today. So I've been up since 7 o'clock. Um, I've watched the whole game back since I uh, had a couple of cups of coffee um some of you ask yeah, Dave says you're looking like it's summer Harry what happened um I'm just not that cold today. I've I've been up early, so I came down to the man cave, the studio, put the heating on nice and early, so that when I did come in here to do the podcast, it wouldn't be freezing. I wouldn't have to wrap up like an Eskimo. Uh, So yeah, that's uh, that's where we're at. Uh, Right, let's um, let's dive into it and let's start off uh, by focusing on Alexander Lacazette and the difference between the two roles that he played. Firstly, in the game at the Emirates Stadium against West Ham on Wednesday, and then yesterday. At Ellen Road. And I think there was a significant difference in the way that Alexander Lacazette was deployed. Now, he gave an interview after the game yesterday and he talked about how the credit belonged to Mikel Arteta because of the game plan, because of what he'd set out in terms of what it was that he was asking Alexander Lacazette to do. Arteta was then asked about that and he was very quick to push the praise back onto his player. He labelled him as unselfish and as someone who is so, so key to this team. So what were the differences? Now, I think the main differences were that for the most part against West Ham, Alexander Lacazette, and let me just show you guys Uh, the tactics board. For those of you that are watching us on YouTube, if you are listening via the audio, I always say this, but these tactical analysis shows, the visuals do help. So you can, of course, stay listening via the audio and that's no problem. And and you're all as welcome as those on the YouTube, of course. But if you want the visual aids to try and help you understand a little bit more uh, about what I'm saying, then, or, or try and kind of Make more sense of the points, then please do head over to the YouTube channel and check out the videos. So, what we saw from Lacazette against West Ham, and I've got the Leeds colours on the screens. So I'm going to focus more on that game, obviously. But what he was doing against West Ham a lot more frequently was he was plonking himself right in between the two centre halves, um, trying to kind of occupy them and and cause them trouble. Therefore, creating some spaces, um, you know, in between the lines. Preventing them almost stepping up a couple of yards and create some spaces in between the lines for the likes of Martinelli to drift into, for Saka to drift into, and for Odegaard to get into, because of course, West Ham sat and played with a really defensive low block. Now, Leeds United don't play that way. And we knew exactly what we were going to get from Leeds United. We knew that they'd want to be progressive, that they'd want to push their line as high up the pitch as they possibly could. And that slightly changes what it is that Alexander Lacazette is being asked to do. But I thought against West Ham, a team who didn't want to, um, you know, didn't want to push up the pitch, a team who were quite happy to sit on their edge of the box, it was imperative that Lacazette got in and among them and and really pinned them at times, pinned those centre halves, occupied them so that it allowed for others to get closer to the penalty area and then hopefully impact the game. He did drop off on occasion. I'm not saying that he never did that. He did that quite a bit in the second half, in fact, where he dropped into those deeper positions and he had the brilliance and the ability to spin away from people and carry the ball towards the West Ham back line. In fact, that's how the first goal came about. Lacazette picks it up, gets the ball, drives forward in between the lines. In that space that I've highlighted there, Lacazette pops up there. Martinelli makes a run off the shoulder and he has the quality and the vision to spot him and pick him out. And that's where the goal comes from. But for the most part against West Ham, especially in the first half, where I thought we were particularly good, Alexander Lacazette was pinning himself up against the centre-halves, occupying them. And if not always getting on the edge of the end of the ball, if not always making something happen directly, he was making sure that the West Ham centre-halves always had him to worry about, always had him to be concerned about. And when as defensive midfielders, you see your centre halves being pinned, and you recognise that there are no spare centre halves. There's nobody in that kind of position who can now step forward. You naturally drop off, and that contributed to us being able to pin West Ham United back. But let's take it to Leeds because it was very, very different against Leeds. And actually, what he was being tasked uh, with doing most of the time was, uh, of course, um, dropping into. Uh, dropping into a much uh, sort of deeper position and uh, using up the space in between the lines, which then allowed Martinelli and Saka to run in behind him. Bear with me one second. Don't go anywhere. Uh, I just need to uh, fix this. Hold on. There we go. There we go. Sorry about that. I keep... I've got this wire from my camera um, because I've got the camera not on top of the laptop anymore. It is somewhere else. And I keep knocking this wire with my bloody foot when I get carried away and over-enthusiastic about what I'm talking about. If you're listening via the audio, you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. But I just knocked the camera off. So I've just turned it back on Uh, for those watching on YouTube. My apologies. But, yeah, back to what I was saying. There was a real difference in what he needed to do against Leeds in order to expose them. And clearly... It was a tactic and we talk a lot about false nines in the modern era. Um, And what Lacazette was doing in this particular fixture was instead of, um, you know, instead of pinning the centre-halves in order to create the space in between the lines for Saka, Martinelli and Odegaard to operate, he was dropping into the highlighted area, allowing Martinelli and Saka to make diagonal runs from out to in beyond him. And that's what the remit was and that's what the plan was uh, against Leeds United. So it's slightly different. Although the most encouraging thing about all of this with Alexander Lacazette is that there is a variation to it now. And I'm going to talk to you and show you guys a little bit about what I'm talking about when I say variation. So if we look at, um, the, the really early stages of the Leeds game, Lacazette missed a really good chance where he managed to get in behind. He was just played on side by Stuart Dallas at left back. And you can see this. This is Alexander Lacazette not dropping deep. This is Alexander Lacazette not dropping into the hole and instead playing off the shoulder. And he's picked out brilliantly by Martin Odegaard. Unfortunately, he can't put the ball in the back of the net. But when I talk about Lacazette, and adding a variety to his game this is what i'm talking about it's very easy to say he was dropping in the hole and that's all he was doing yesterday when in actual fact he was doing a variety of things if we take this forward to the the um the goal the opening goal lacazette look at his position in there he's no he's not inside the penalty area in fact he's the deepest of the four arsenal players within the vicinity of Leeds United's penalty area. And when Granit Xhaka goes down, though, Lacazette still has the presence of mind, having dropped deep initially to create the space, to still stay alert and still stay wary of what might happen and where the ball might break. And it's him that eventually makes a tackle that leads to the ball breaking loose for Gabriel Martinelli to rifle it into the top corner. So again, Lacazette dropping deep, causing problems, but Lacazette having variety to his game and being able to snuff out the danger and still get there in time is a testament to how alert and switched on he was at that particular point. If I take it even further forward to Martinelli's second goal, look where he is positioned. Alexander Lacazette is parallel to Martin Odegaard, now, this space has come about because Lacazette has come into the midfield and he's what he's done is he's attracted the attention of uh, Mateus Klick. He's attracted the attention of Robin Koch, who stepped out because of a concern about Arsenal having an overload in that midfield area. Xhaka was the one that played the pass through, but when Xhaka has the ball at his feet, he's got Lacazette five yards to his right and Odegaard five yards further. So naturally, Robin Koch, the lead centre-back, feels that he needs to step out to go and help his teammate out. In the meantime, using that overload, using the additional man, Arsenal have worked the ball to Granit Xhaka, who's then picked out Martinelli, who's made that exact run that I've highlighted on the tactical board, which is from outside to in. It's a brilliant run. It's a brilliant ball. And of course, we all know what happened. It resulted in Arsenal's second goal taking on to arsenal's third goal and again look where alexander lacazette's position is look where his position is you've got martinelli driving infield causing all sorts of problems saka doing the same from the opposite flank those two guys have come in and they've created all kinds of chaos and in the end it eventually ends up with saka who manages to get a shot off it deflects into the back of the net and arsenal have a third and go forward one more to the fourth and again Talking about variety, this time Lacazette does something very, very different. Instead of dropping off that little bit deeper, he makes a very deliberate run toward the right-hand side. A, to create an angle for a potential pass, but also to pull Stuart Dallas and Luke Ayling away. Odegaard's carrying the ball. He needs uh, to be engaged so outsteps robin cock you can see that emil smith row is now in the martinelli possession position if you want to call that where he's making that run from outside to in the ball goes through and that results in arsenal's fourth goal so not only was the remit different in the sense of lacazette was asked to drop that little bit deeper where possible he also applied common sense and game management and and experience and all of the good things and and football intelligence that Alexander Lacazette has to make sure that there was a variety to his game that made him incredibly difficult to defend against. And I thought his performance yesterday was really, really positive. Could he have done more maybe with the ball at his feet? Yeah, probably. And that's why when I did my player ratings, which you can find on the channel uh, on the YouTube Shorts, I didn't give him as high a rating as Martinelli or Saka because I didn't think he was as, um, you know, what's the word, uh, clinical when the opportunities came his way as he could have been. But his play gives you so much. You know, can he run in off the shoulder as powerfully and as effectively as Aubameyang? Probably not. But, you know, he gives you two things where he can drop deep and link up play. He can run in behind in short distances and I think that that's more powerful than Bamiang who gives you nothing in the link-up play. And Bamiang might not give you anything in the link-up play, but in years gone by, he's scored enough goals to kind of make you think, well, he needs to play off the back of that. But what we're seeing now is is everybody getting involved. We're seeing Martinelli thrive. We're seeing Saka thrive. We're seeing Emil smith throw thrive when he's on the pitch. And actually, when you think back to the best periods we had last season, it was with Lacazette leading the line and Saka and Emile Smith-Rowe and the other guys in and around him, Nicolas Pepe at times too. So I do think that Lacazette gives us much more in that centre-forward position. And I think his uh, displays and the fact that he's been able to add some variety rather than... Because if, if, if you think back to a couple of games recently, he's been too deep all the time. And that's a problem as well. So there needs to be a degree of of being able to switch it up and change it up and doing different things at different moments make you really d- difficult to defend against. Going into the midfield to help out from a defensive standpoint is what he was being asked to do when we played that 4-4-2. But with Martin Odegaard in that position now, he's in a very different place, Lacazette, whereby he's not as concerned and as worried about getting back and helping out the midfield when we're playing against three-man midfields. Therefore, he can spend more energy, more time, more focus on stepping into the right areas, whether that be deep to open up channels in behind him or whether that be making the run in behind himself, which he was never doing in that four-four-two system that we were playing a little bit early on in the season. Uh, I'm going to take some of your comments in just a second and some of your questions. Uh, lots to uh, work our way through. But For those of you who maybe watched this so far and thinking, what on earth is he talking about? He played exactly the same way um, against Leeds and against West Ham. I just want to highlight the heat maps from the two games. So this was Lacazette's heat map against West Ham United. And you can see that it's heavily focused inside the penalty area and around the penalty area. That's where Alexander Lacazette occupied The pitch against West Ham United, much closer to the penalty area, much closer to the centre-halves, whereas against Leeds, you can see that a lot of the focus is in a deeper area. So it's clear that he was playing differently against West Ham and against Leeds United. And I just wanted to put that in there uh, to kind of give you guys the proof in the pudding, not just to take my word for it. There was a very different alexander lacazette on show uh, in those two fixtures and a good lacazette both times it has to be said but a different lacazette right let's go over uh, to the chat box uh, and see what you guys are saying i can see lots of you are disagreeing with one another in the chat box as uh, as is uh as is quite common nowadays listen disagreement is fine debate is fine just make sure it's all well spirited in the meantime while i'm just scrolling through the comments and giving you the opportunity actually to pop some of your questions in there uh, i am going to bring you guys a quick message from our sponsors pro prep now pro prep is the perfect study tool for university students undertaking science technology engineering or maths related modules and it can half your study time pro prep provide bite-sized videos relevant to the module or course which can be accessed from any device at any time it's already helped over half a million students to pass their exams they provide customized stem study tools that match your syllabus long lectures are condensed into short and clear video tutorials and you can check and practice what you've just learned via the uh, exercises online and the practice questions that are available you can even submit questions to the pro prep professors and receive a video answer within 24 hours Proprep have created a special offer just for our listeners so you can go over to the website which is proprep.uk slash info slash football the link is in the description below and uh, you can sign up for a free 30-day trial without uh, entering any credit card details we thank proprep for their very kind sponsorship check it out right let's take some of your questions let's take some of your thoughts so in conclusion on the Lacazette stuff we knew he could play as a force nine we know he's very very good um, at dropping into those spaces. At times he was doing it too much. Now he, with Odegaard in behind him, who's doing a wonderful job as well. And we'll probably do an episode this week in the lead up to Christmas, focusing on, on Martin Odegaard. Um, I think you're seeing Lacazette be able to focus on what it is that we need him to be doing. And that is in the centre forward position. But also we're seeing him apply himself much better. Um, He doesn't always have to run himself in the ground. I felt like in that 4-4-2, he was running himself into the ground at times. It's why he could never really last more than 60 minutes. But now you're seeing a Lacazette who can focus solely on his part of the pitch, on his area, and do what what he needs to do, uh, which is, of course, be uh, effective in the final third. It's to occupy house also to drop deep and create spaces in behind him very unselfish as Mikel Arteta says um sco says uh, harry why don't you ban the people with the relentless vile comments look i don't always see all of the comments when i'm talking on here can you imagine doing a podcast where you want to keep it flowing the whole time and reading every single comment it's impossible for me to do so if there are vile and disgusting comments from anyone i will kick them out if i see them so feel free to flag them to me but if i miss stuff it's because i'm trying to make the podcast flow and i'm i can't read every single comment at every single time sometimes i see people popping off and having a go at one another in the chat but i don't know how it started or how it came about so i can't go around kicking people out when i don't know the situation flag it to me I'll go back check out the live chat once the recording's finished and then uh, I can deal with it so uh, yeah flag it to me if there's anything like that going on right uh, let's take some of these uh, questions um, Stilton Avengers has any idea how our missed signings are getting on from the summer how's Locatelli doing Madison etc cetera, etc cetera. well Mauro Locatelli is doing okay, but Juventus are not doing okay. And and there's there's big problems at Juventus. They're, they're really struggling. I think they felt that bringing back Max Allegri was just going to solve everything and it would be almost a jump back into the past where they were incredibly efficient, good, strong and competitive. And it's not really worked out like that. I think Locatelli's done okay. I think it's harsh to say that Locatelli's part of the reason Juve aren't playing well, because midfield has been a problem for them, I think, even prior to to his arrival. Has he been a transformative sign-in, like we thought he might have been for us? No, he hasn't. Um He wanted to go Juventus. He's a Juventus fan. His family are Juventus fans. That's the move he chose. Uh, Arsenal were interested, as we know, and did uh, informally approach Sassuolo, but it, it never materialised. So, yeah, Um He's doing OK, but not exactly pulling up many trees. Uh, James Madison, up and down, as James Madison has always been. Um, and, and that was always my concern about him when we were talking about it in the summer. It felt like too much money uh, for James Madison. So, uh, yeah, that one uh, hasn't gone uh, great either. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Uh, Diego says uh, lack Lac has been doing well but I think we need a striker that delivers 20 goals per season. To be honest, I wouldn't like to see another 30-year-old player sign a contract and decrease his level. Yeah, look, I think everybody recognises that the situation with Lacazette right now, despite how well he's playing, means that you shouldn't be jumping into to giving him a new contract. We've been burnt by that before. But if someone was to offer, or if Arsenal were open to offering Lacazette a one-year extension, and he was open to taking that. I don't think having him around the place or as a backup option for whoever we bring in in the summer would be a problem. You know, I I really don't. And also, I think there were always question marks in the lead up to the new content from uh, around Ozil's professionalism, around Aubameyang's professionalism, had many problems at previous clubs, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. With Lacazette, I don't really have that fear or that concern, but I also agree that we shouldn't be breaking the bank and, and tying down one of these players that then goes on to handicap us in what we can do in the market. So I think, yes, in an ideal world, you get a striker that delivers 20 plus goals a season, but also brings you all the brilliant link up stuff that Laka does. I also think that Laka, though, has a lot to offer still to this football club. And I'd keep him for another year if that's something he agrees to. Look, if he doesn't and he might not because he's at a stage in his career where he probably wants another big deal, then fine, you know, it is what it is. We thank him for his service and we move him on. But I do think that that we should at least be considering, and if he can keep this up to the end of the season, we should be considering offering him a short-term deal. No guarantee he's going to want that. No guarantee he's going to accept that. But it would be foolish to see his performances now um, and and understand that we're probably going to lose Aubameyang as well and say, well, okay, we've got Nketiah and Balogun who will definitely be up to the level to play second fiddle as such to whoever it is if we do go out and get a big striker in the summer. So, yeah, um, I'd consider it, but I understand the concern. Michael Tinknell says, uh, as you're close to Italian football, how reliable is Tuto Sport with regards to their story this morning about Aubameyang to Juventus? I would say that Tuto Sport are not very reliable. I think there's a lot of outlets in Italy that you need to watch out for. They're one of them. Calcio Mercato are another one. Um, they're kind of, they, they pick up sort of crumbs, piece them together and make stories. And, and Aubameyang is going to be linked with everyone and anyone at this moment in time. Why? Because it's clear that something's gone down at Arsenal. It's clear that the club would probably be quite happy to move him on. And if you're to believe reports, you'd say that Aubameyang is probably quite happy to move on now as well. Now, Juventus not playing very well, need more goals. Um, it makes sense to link them to a striker who, despite being on a, a poor run of form recently, has scored goals throughout his career. People talk about the pace of Serie A being lower. It is. And and I wonder, you know, uh, well, I, I'm sure, in fact, that Aubameyang would probably do pretty well in that league. So, yeah, it's a story that sounds convenient and it's a story that's easy to write, in my opinion. But it's one that I can't say I know there is any substance to. Not saying it's definitely not going to happen, but I don't know of any, re- or of any genuine interest. From Juventus in Aubameyang, I feel there'll be a lot of clubs that will be testing the water with him. But of course, the wages is a big deal. And is Aubameyang going to dig his heels in and say, nope, I'm staying here till my contract runs out, which is another season, so that I can collect my huge paycheck? Or is he going to just say, no, you know what, screw it, I'm gone. If he's going to go to Juventus and if he's going to go to Italian football in particular, he's going to have to say... Uh, screw it to the wages because he's not going to get that kind of money uh, in Serie A. I was looking this up earlier. The highest transfer in the Serie A over the summer was the 29 million euro transfer of Ficayo Tomori from uh, Chelsea to AC Milan. So there's not a lot of money kicking about in that league in comparison to the Premier League. He's not going to get the salary that he's on now. Um, so, you know, he'd have to really want it and, uh, and Juve would, I'm sure keep their ear close to the ground. And if they do hear of of a willingness on the players' part to accept considerably lower terms, then I think he probably, uh, you know, they might explore it. But it's Tuto sport, so just don't get carried away. Uh, let's take out a few more. Uh, Tommy Hoare says, Harry, top five performances this season. Do you mean in terms of the team overall? If you do, there's a few that stick out, obviously. I think the West Ham game was a really complete performance. I thought the performance against Spurs was good. I thought Villa was good. Um, I thought Leicester away was really good. I don't know if I want to put yesterday's performance in my top five because of how poor leads were. Um, but when you go and win away from home 4-1, I think you probably have to. So I'll put that one in there as well. That's number five. Uh, let's see what else we've got in the chat box. Um <laughs> Tuco says, is Thomas Partey actually 50? I love the guy, but he's really slow. Yeah, he has um, he has really, really, um, you know, he has really, really uh, slowed down and he does really, really look off the pace. He does look like someone who's just not anywhere near his maximum at the moment. And I don't really know what more we can do to extract it out of him because... He's playing games. From what we know, he's training. He's got a solid partner next to him now in Granite Xhaka. And although he's been slightly better since Xhaka's come back in the team, I would say in terms of not getting exposed, he still doesn't look up to speed. You know, the most telling thing is that Granit Xhaka, who was out for a couple of months, came straight back in the team and looked on par with Thomas Partey physically. That's a problem. So yeah, I've got concerns about it. Look, I don't know that he's older than he says he is. I know that's a joke and rumor that goes around because there's been situations where players have been found out to be of an older age than they declared in the past, but I don't know that with any um, with any certainty, to be honest. Uh so I'm not gonna speculate on it. Um what else have we got? Look, we we're getting some complaints about monitor, guys. Just stop acting like kids, man, in the chat. Like um I will block someone if they're using homophobic terms. So it's done, blocked. I will do it. I'm not going to take it. We've worked so hard um, on this channel to make sure that we're not one of those places where people just come in and abuse each other and then leave. So I I don't want that. So I will block people uh, that do it. And I've just blocked one now um, for a homophobic comment. So yeah, no need for it. Right, let's see what else we've got. Uh Jid F thirty-two says, Do you think Jack, the Xhaka incident was a red card? From where I stand, he got the whole of the ball, didn't lunge, and all he did was land his foot on the player. VAR didn't even bother to check. So this is the thing, Jid, right? People always say this. VAR didn't bother to check. The VAR does check. Just because they don't if they Allow the game to continue quickly. It means they've looked quickly and decided that there's nothing to, to follow up on. It's not that they don't look. They will look at every potential red card incident. What they do is when they need a bit more time, they then notify the referee and then the game stops. And then we get the graphic on the screen, VAR check underway, et cetera, et cetera. And we kind of know that it's happening. Those checks are happening all the time in the background, regardless of whether we know. But obviously they looked at it and didn't feel that there was enough to warrant sending the referee over to the pitch side monitor or um, advising him to, to brandish the red card. I think that he does get the ball, and I think that's what saved him. I think the way he's, um, he's caught the player is obviously painful, and it's obviously sore. It's one of those where had the red card been shown, I don't think we could have protested about it too much. But I also understand why it wasn't shown. And I think we just got the rub of the green on that one at that time. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, let's see. Uh, just going back to the Lacazette subject. Hamza says, Lacquer has been brilliant the last few games, but we need a complete striker. But all the respect to Lacquer, our best games under Arteta and Emery have been the ones which Lacquer starts more often than not. Uh, Steve Stone says, Harry, I've been looking closely with the emerging relationship between Martin Erdegaard and Bukayo Saka. I think it could be something special. Do you agree? Yeah, I think Martin Odegaard's natural inclination to drift slightly right of centre, because he's a left-footed player and he wants to have the pitch inside of him, means that he can often drag players towards him and, and almost lure defenders into him, which then creates a bit of space for Saka. Add to that the fact that Saka's got brilliant running power, that Odegaard's got the vision to pick him out and understand when those gaps and spaces have been created, I think it is a really, really good relationship. But I think Odegaard's developed a really good relationship with all of the front players. And I think that's been one of the things I've been most impressed with. He picks people out. He also works as hard as anyone. And that really sets the tone when one of your forward players or attacking minded players is putting in that kind of work rate, it sets the tone. And you know you're going to get that from Martinelli. You know you'll get it from Saka. You know you'll get it from Laka. And just the four of them mean that we can defend from the front, but also have the quality when we get into certain positions to cause teams problems. And and we're becoming a lot more potent. Uh, What else have we got? Uh, Let's take this one from the Rohan family. Hope you're well, man. He says, Harry, do you think the game has changed? And Oba's quality is just not enough if he doesn't possess other dimensions of a modern forward. No, I think it's a lot to do with the way we play. I think it's a lot to do with the tactical approach. I think Arsenal as a team under Mikel Arteta, especially in the last 12 months, have evolved tactically quite a bit. And I think now that he's got players that he will feel are more fit for purpose, we're seeing elements of the game that we saw flashes of previously, but never regularly enough, i.e. being able to press aggressively, being able to play higher up the pitch because of the profile of centre-half we now have at our disposal being able to be a little bit more secure with bombing the left back on because we've got a solid right back who tucks in field, being able to play in between the lines because we've got a player in Martin Odegaard who absolutely understands when to play in those positions. And and we've got some really, or we've got much more out of Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe in terms of impacting games. So I think all of that's come together. And I think it was pretty clear early on that um, Aubameyang was going to get left behind by this tactical evolution because of the type of striker he is. Having said that, he could go to another team, a counter attacking team, whereby he'll be playing off the shoulder week in, week out, and still be devastating and still be very impactful. So, I'm wary of slagging off Bamiang too much. Look, I've slagged him off about the things he's done off the pitch, which I think are unacceptable. And I think he was right to be stripped of the captaincy. But I'm not. That doesn't mean I've dismissed the qualities that Pierre Emerick Aubameyang clearly has and has shown throughout his his long career. So, yeah, I just think that our game has evolved tactically, has developed, and he's just been left behind by that. And he's no longer now the the right fit. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Uh, uh, just scrolling through the comments. By the way, while I'm doing this, hit the like button if you haven't done so already. How many likes have we got on the board at the moment? I hate banging on about them, but they really, really do help. um They really do help get the video out to more people. We've only got 70 likes on the board, but there's 269, 268 of you watching us. So there's no reason why we can't get over the 100 mark. So hit the like button. Also, subscribe if you're new. We want to get to 20K subscribers, remember. By the start of next season. We we've hit 17 and a half, so we're almost there. Um, still need another two and a half of you to sign up between uh, now and the end or, or and the kickoff of next season. I think it's doable. It is doable. So like, subscribe if you want to go one further by becoming a member and supporting me. You can do so. Uh we brought you a watch along yesterday of the Leeds United game, which if you're a YouTube user go back and check it out. Just have a, a watch of like a few minutes and let me know what you think of it. Um, you know, we we did a lot of them during lockdown. When I'm at games and traveling to games, it's not easy to do that because, um, you know, obviously I'm not here, but also when I'm, when I'm working on other games in the Premier League, which happens quite a bit, it means I can't always do a live watch along because I don't have the time to prepare for it um, or I've got to be kind of Focusing elsewhere or whatever. So it is, um, it, it, it is something that I like to do, but that I can't do every single week. But if you did enjoy it and you, ha- or you haven't seen it and you want to go back and check it out and give me some feedback, I'd love that. And hopefully, where possible, we can do a few more of them because the feedback last night was, uh, was really cool. Uh, what else have we got, um, in the chat? Um, Lots of you asking me about the comment that was being um, that, that was in the chat that upset a couple of people in the chat. I've, I've blocked the person and I don't know what else I can really do. Um, they've been blocked. So hopefully that's done. Uh, any more questions? Let's see what we've got. Um did, 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 did. Inter says, I'm looking at Chelsea at the moment. If Tuchel became available, we would have to do it. Do you agree, Harry? You're trying to bait me into, into saying that <laughs> that I would stick with Mikel Arteta so that you can say I'm clueless and I'm mad and that Thomas Tuchel's won a Champions League and he should absolutely be in the team, uh, and he should absolutely be considered as a replacement for Mikel Arteta if uh you know he becomes available. And I'm not gonna do that because As I've said before, we've embarked on a project here. And as I've said before, we've got someone in there who's not afraid to make big decisions and is clearly developing the young players well. Therefore, right now, he is the right man. What I would say is that there might come a point with Mikel Arteta, and I've been fairly consistent on this, where we can't go to that next level, to that next step in which case somebody who's got a track record and a proven track record of doing that then becomes a good and viable option. But that would not undo all the good work that Mikel Arteta has done. So it's a bit like, and I always use this example, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer at Man United. If Man United go on and do really, really good things next season under whoever their new manager is, a part of that, not all of it, but a a part of it, no matter how big or small, will be down to Oli Gunnar Solskjaer Having trusted in some of the younger players, the green ones, who is probably going to go on to be a bit of a start, um, you know, on bringing certain players to the club who are key, Bruno Fernandes, et cetera, et cetera. So the point I'm trying to make is that a manager can get to a point where they can't take you to the next level. And so you feel you need to change it. But that doesn't dismiss all the good work that they've done and doesn't mean that up until that point they've made only mistakes it means that they're at a point now where they can't go any further. That's just the way it is. Um, Thomas Tuchel a wonderful manager, yes, and and I'd, I'd have had him at Arsenal, absolutely. But we've seen progress this season, whether you want to admit it or not. Um, and I think we need to give Arteta a, ch- a chance, at least till the end of the season, to see it out. And if he gets us back into Europe, which will have been his objective at the start of the campaign, then he deserves more time to continue taking the project forward. As long as a project is moving forward, you should never cut its legs off. When it gets to a point of, of stagnation, that's when you take action. And I don't think we're at that point. I, fa- I think we threatened to hit that point prior and, fi- and and thankfully we found a way out of it and we found a way of getting back on the upward trajectory. So yeah, yeah, Uh, That's where I'm at. Uh, David Labua says uh, Martinelli has improved, but needs more maturity, especially when he misses an opportunity. Hold on, let me read that again. Martinelli has improved, but needs more maturity, especially when he misses an opportunity. Get up and move on. Arteta had to drag him back onto the pitch versus West Ham. Hope you agree with me, Harry. No, I don't agree with you, um, David I, I disagree because he dragged him onto the pitch because he was injured and he wanted him to be down on the pitch so that he could receive treatment on the pitch and the game would be stopped because while he was off the pitch, had he received treatment, Arsenal would have been playing with 10 men. So that was the reason that Mikel Arteta picked him up and dragged him back on the pitch. it was And, and then he substituted him because he obviously picked up something. So it wasn't um, Arteta dragging him on because he was being immature. It was Arteta dragging him back onto the pitch because if you're off the pitch the referee would just continue the game while you receive treatment and then Arsenal had to play with 10 men in a game that was very finely balanced by being down on the pitch it means that the physios come on it means that you can take your time means you can stop the game gives everybody a breather and gives Arteta a chance to get more instructions across um Just back on Arteta, uh, Gunnar72 says, look, Arteta isn't the complete package. We know that, but at the moment, he's doing a decent job with a young and developing team. Agreed. Uh, What else have we got? Uh, Eli says, Harry, great stuff. I asked you a few months ago who was the most clinical in front of goal and you said Aubameyang. What's your thoughts now? Um, Well, Aubameyang's obviously going through what he's going through and, um, and, and I think that One of the things that always got him by in the past was that he was ice cold and clinical in front of goal. And I think at the time when I said that, I was right in saying that. I don't think that, um, you know, that was a wrong statement at that point. But clearly he's not been clinical this season. Clearly he's not been on top of his game. And now you're probably looking at maybe Gabriel Martinelli as someone who you'd fancy in front of goal. You you fancy Emil Smith Row now a lot more than you did previously as well. So there's improvement from a lot of players there, uh, but those are probably the two that stand out. But yeah, Yang's declined. There's there's no doubt about that. Uh, let's see what else. I'm going to take one or two more. Um, Terence Tibbs says, "Are our fans part of the problem? Not all of them, Terence, because it's unfair to label everybody in the same way. But um, there are." Arsenal fans out there who are just so desperate to be right that they want this thing to fail. And um, and that is a problem. You know, I put a tweet last night up about Gabriel Martinelli and how I think he's matured and developed. And I, I highlighted the reasons I felt that he's matured and developed. It wasn't just he's matured and developed. I did an entire thread where I talked about certain elements of his game that I think he's really, really improved in. And that people were so quick to say that Mikel Arteta doesn't rate him when actually Arsenal extended his contract during Mikel Arteta's time and now he's playing a really key part in the team. I think I think with with our fans there is a an element of I want to be right so I'm going to stick to my guns and just hope it comes through. Um I also think there's an element of you know people just have different opinions. That's life. But I also think there's a an element of people being sucked into online narratives and not really seeing the facts and not really seeing things clearly or having their minds or opinion swayed by some very vocal people on, on platforms like this. You know, I, the response I got was, no, everybody could see that Martinelli was available. Martinelli tactically last season wasn't at the level he is now. Martinelli physically wasn't at the level last season that he is now because he was still on the road to recovery from a very long-term injury. So the point I'm trying to make is that, yeah, he in an ideal world, he would have preferred to have had more opportunities. And as I've said time and time again, had Arsenal been in the Europa League, he'd have got those opportunities. We're not so tough. That's the way it works. That's our problem as a football club. But when he's taken, the, when he's had opportunities recently, he's taken them. And that's why he's stayed in the team. You know, it would have been easy for Mikel Arteta to take him out of the team after Southampton and put Emil Smith-Rowe back in. It would have been easy for him to do that again this weekend after Emil Smith-Rowe uh, scored a good goal against West Ham and, and Emil Smith-Rowe's got more credit in the bank this season than Martinelli because he's probably been our best player throughout the campaign. Martinelli has been up there in the last three or four fixtures. So it would have been easy to for Mikel Arteta to make that change and he didn't, which shows that he believes in Martinelli and he's being fair in the opportunities that he's given him and being fair that when he does take them, he will keep him in the team. So uh, yeah, I think that some of the narratives that are driven by fans are just driving me mad. Paul James, is Xhaka underrated because he's unloved by the fans? Absolutely. He's so key to what we do. Um, you know, he's he's so key. And uh, and I'm I'm sick of having and not not to you, Paul, because you know, you raise a fair and, and good question, but I am sick of having the Xhaka debate with people over and over and over again. He performed well yesterday. Again, he brings a stability to the midfield. That makes Thomas Partey look better and less exposed. He brings a stability that allows Tierney to get forward more more freely without fear of what's being left behind him. And that in turn gives Gabriel Martinelli or whoever plays in the left, uh, on the left wing, uh, the ability to play more like a forward than a winger. There is so much benefit to having Xhaka in the team. Are there drawbacks to having him in the team? Yeah, there are. Sometimes he holds onto the ball too long and slows things down, takes an extra touch. I said that the other night. Sometimes he does stu- make stupid tackles like the one he done yesterday, which he was, as I say, quite fortunate to get away with. So I think for me, um, you know, there are positives and there are negatives with Granite Jacker. but I think the positives at this moment in time outweigh the negatives. And, and I would challenge anybody to come to me with some evidence as to, you know, as to counter this point before I make it, he has been Arsenal's most consistent midfield player for the last twelve months. More than Partey, more than anyone. Um, you know, he's he's come straight back into the team off the back of an injury, and uh, and he's he's picked up where he left off, and you got to give him credit for that, and. You know, you've also got to give him credit for for the toughness he shows as a character off the back of what happened with the fans. The fact that he's just gotten on with it is is fantastic. So yeah, um, he's not the best midfielder in the world and he's not the complete midfielder. He's not the finished article. He's not the guy that you look at and you say he's world-class, but he's better than everything else that we have at that football club right now. And that's what you got to compare him to, not people that we don't have. There's no point comparing him to N'Golo Kante as I've seen some people do over the years, because we don't have go and Kante. He's not available for Arsenal selection. There's a pointless debate, pointless, pointless discussion. Until we can upgrade on him, which clearly we couldn't in the summer with the money that was being offered for him, then he's the best option we got and we stick with him and, and we move forward. But anyway, uh, gonna leave it there. Uh, thank you for all your great questions, all your great interaction in the chat box, as always. I uh, hope you all enjoyed it. Um, let me know what you think on the lack of points. The fact that he did play, in my opinion, a different role at Leeds to the one he played at West Ham, but that on both occasions, he showed some variety to his game that probably hasn't been there. And I think that's probably down to some coaching and some instruction from those on the sidelines. So, uh, yeah, really enjoying his performances at the moment. Really enjoying Martinelli, really enjoying Smith-Rowe, Saka, Odegaard. The attacking players have really kind of come into their own in recent weeks, which is great stuff. There's a confidence in this Arsenal side, and um, it's a confidence that took a bit of a beating when we went on that latest little dip. It will happen. They're young players, but you hope that you have enough positivity and confidence in the bag for when those moments do come along, that you're able to get out of them quickly. And as I always say, stop rots happening. Dips will happen to everybody, especially a young developing team like this with a young developing manager you can't allow it to become a rot and that's what arsenal have to maintain throughout the course of this season if we do that there's no reason why we cannot finish in the top in the top few positions there's no reason whatsoever anyway going to leave it there catch you all very very soon until next time goodbye